it's important to be uh, telling stories that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think passion is something that that comes through readily. And if you're passionate about what you're sharing, that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20 Minute Leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and tech to peace and is in proud collaboration with Secret Chord Ventures, J Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. I'm really excited to share with you today the story of Josh Tyson, the co-author of the Wall Street Journal business bestseller, Age of Invisible Machines. He's also director of storytelling at OneReach AI and the co-host of N9K, a podcast from the future. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to be here. Yeah, the excitement is on. We're going to be talking about uh, storytelling, conversational AI, a bunch of other things in between. Uh, and uh, storytelling and conversational AI are two things that I'm particularly interested in and passionate about. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you even get into the world of, of storytelling, for instance? What, what, what does that even mean, storytelling? Well, that's a good question. Um, to me, it, I think it just stemmed from knowing from pretty young age that if I was storytelling, if I was telling stories, that I'd be happy. Uh, I, I pursued a journalism degree, not so much envisioning being a reporter, uh, but really just knowing that if I had that foundation, I could, I could use that to, to leverage, to, to just be telling stories at all times. Uh, I was early on kind of drawn to the gonzo kind of like Joan Didion approach to journalism where you're drawing directly from your own experiences and you you often become a part of the story uh, I kind of loved being an active observer and I realized that early on I was seeking out jobs not so much because they fit uh, my idea of of what a professional career should be but because they would expose me to to really interesting situations and people. Um, for a long time, I was a bus driver for a senior citizen center. Uh, I, I kind of worked on a split shift. So I would pick a lot of people up in the morning and I'd bring them to the center where they'd spend time. Um, it, it was affiliated with the counseling center. So there was some therapy going on. And then in the afternoon, I'd take them home. And, and just having that time to engage with older adults uh, who'd had just really interesting experiences. And I, I just got focused time to sit and chat with them and get to know them. And then I, I was working on a split shift. So I was able to spend my days pursuing freelance writing stuff, just working as a movie critic and art critic, um, just kind of covering local news and events and things, uh, that always brought me a lot of joy. And, uh, I'd also worked for a time as, as a valet, which was an interesting experience as I was just looking for other gigs. I, I ended up working as a valet for a while. And that was a position where you are sort of invisible. Um, people kind of ignore the valet who parks their car. Um, and, and I kind of thought that was really interesting. I liked that. I liked that I could just sit and observe and, and see interactions between people where they didn't really realize I was there. Uh, so it was kind of next level fly on the wall 
sort of situation. Um, and it's I've, an interesting, I've also been uh, balance between, you know, you're talking about the power of storytelling and being, you, you even said the active, active observer, and then transitioning towards, you know, the, the experience of being invisible yet being invisible in a, in an environment in which you are already trained to appreciate the activeness of being a part of a situation and experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I spent a lot of my life, uh, skateboarding and early on when I started skateboarding, it was sort of an outsider activity. There weren't a lot of skate parks in the world. And so my friends and I would just skate around downtown. And when we rolled up to, you know, buildings and architectural features, we had a totally different idea of, of what those could be used for. And, and they were quite different to us than they were to the people who were kind of bustling by and, and not paying as much attention. Uh, and I, I think that also fit into, cause skaters, I think derogatorily or sometimes, or at least back then we would get called lurkers a lot, which I think was meant to be an insult, but we really kind of wore it as a badge because we were, again, it was sort of that valet situation where we were unwanted and invisible in a way, but we, we really were embedded and we're seeing things on, on a different level, I think, than, than maybe other people. And so that always yeah. felt really advantageous to me and skateboarding, uh, walking. I've always done a lot of walking. I've always done a lot of yoga and, the, and those things, um, to me feel integral to what I do professionally, because to me, they're, they're meditative activities and I'm able to really process a lot of ideas, uh, as I'm just going on walks or skating around or stretching. Like that's, that's actually a really important time for me to germinate new ideas. Uh, if I'm trying to digest them just on my own, or if I'm trying to synthesize them into to writing, uh, that's actually a really important part of, of my process. So do you, do you, um, do you take advantage of, of this realization for, you know, when you need, when you feel like you, you have an idea coming in, you need to now go and explore it, or do you actively trigger yourself into a more creative or generative mindset through these activities? Cause I think that what you're touching on, you know, this, uh, this concept of a creator, create creators or writer's block, right. Which is you know, pretty guess, common phenomenon. Maybe you can tell mm -hmm. me more about that, but, but it sounds like you sort of have your own method of being able to generate your own activation of ne neural, your own neural activation so that you can put yourself in a state of flow where you can let ideas come in. Absolutely. Uh, I think biologically exercise is probably just plays a part in that. Yeah, uh, moving course, your body, yeah. I think is, is good for your, your mind regardless. And I think gets your whole body kind of working as a, as an effective ecosystem, I suppose. Uh, but for me, yeah, that, that's a big part of, of, I, I don't, I guess sometimes I'll, I'll use it to jumpstart creativity. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing those things actively just to maintain uh, a level of creativity or openness that I, I feel is important to, to maintain as I'm, especially as I'm working on bigger projects and things. Awesome. All right. So, so tell me a little bit about storytelling, you know, for, and, and I'd love to start from the, the impact of storytelling. How, how can we, how can we try and you know, quantify or even just explain what, what, what an impact the story can have and where, why, why is, why is storytelling important? Well, storytelling is interesting to me, um, because it almost feels biological in a way. I feel like, uh, humans, we have a, a need to have stories told to us that I think goes beyond, uh, 
you know, a desire of the mind. Um, I, and I, and if you notice, like a lot of times, I, I don't know if you've read, uh, what's the Joseph Campbell work? I think it's called a hero with a thousand faces. But the central idea there is that we, we kind of tell the same stories over and over again throughout history. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll introduce new characters and new details and settings and things like that. But a lot of times that hero's journey, uh, is cut is a, is a recurring theme and, and there's mm-hmm. variations on that, that recur throughout literature and throughout history. And so I think when, when you think about storytelling in that way, that you're not just telling a story. I mean, you can tell a story for your own personal gain, but when you think of it more as an opportunity to connect with a broad audience or with other people on this very deep subconscious level that, um, we don't always think of actively, but that is very much there. Uh, I think being able to, to tap into that and having the ability, and, and it's not always easy. I've, I've probably failed as many times as I've succeeded, but to really be able to tell a compelling story and to have users or readers feel like they're a part of it. They're, they're relating to it on a deeper level than just here's me explaining something to you. Um, I think as you know, I've done a lot of creative writing. Uh, I've done a lot of, like I mentioned, kind of like gonzo style journalism where I've just written about my own experiences for different magazines, uh, skateboarding magazines, small independent newspapers, that kind of thing. Um, but as you, as I started moving more into writing about technical things and technology, uh, I realized that it was still really important to be able to connect with people on a, on a basic level that they were really going to be a lot more open to learning these new ideas and to grappling with very complex ideas. If they, if you could give them the sense that it was a journey that they were taking with you as, as the storyteller, that, that you're helping them. You're not so much telling them that this is how it is. You're, you're guiding them and letting them come to these realizations in their own minds as well. And I think that's when people really internalize information is, is when they, feel connected to the story behind it and ultimately if they can feel like they're a part of that story even if it's something that might seem dry and technical there's there's always an opportunity to connect on a deeper level through storytelling yeah i mean i think this whole concept of uh, alignment and how do we get how do we form meaningful relationships and partnerships that what, what you're touching on is how do we how do we and I, and I love how you mentioned that you know there's one thing to tell a story that's you know that that's interesting and that's that but but then the, how do we get the the person who we're telling the story to to connect and feel a part of the story so that they really are connecting to it? I think that's really a a really interesting concept. I'd love to you know learn from you a little bit on on effective storytelling. You you are director of storytelling at at One Reach AI, so I'd love to soon you know transition a little bit to understanding One Reach AI and and how storytelling is incorporated in the world of conversational AI. But but let's uh-huh. even just start with storytelling. You know, effective storytelling things that I should be keeping in mind. And I'm I'm guessing that, and I and I do believe this that this is an, a really important skill, regardless of what you do, because of the way we humans are. Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like storytelling is a bit like acting in a way. Um, yeah. Where there are some people that just seem to kind of know how to do it. <laughs> and they can't, they can't always explain why they're able to do it. And it's, and it's also kind of difficult to teach. That's not to say that you can't learn to be a, a good storyteller. Um, I mean, the, the Joseph Campbell example 
kind of illustrates that there are formulas that you can follow um, and certain story arcs that seem to connect with people universally. So I think if you're building a message and, and you think about these archetypes, you have a much better chance of, of connecting. Um, and then, but there is sort of that like, I don't know if it's like a soft science, but there's that, that bit of it that's sort of indefinable in a way. Uh, I, I feel like I've, I've written a lot over the course of my career. And that is one of the things that's hardest to explain to people uh, is like how I'm able to do it. Um, but I think it's important, obviously, to me anyway, to, to be uh, telling stories that I'm passionate about. I think passion is something that, that comes through readily. And if you're passionate about what you're sharing, that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, and then also trying to find now, ways. Is, it, is that, so when you say passion, because I, I do find that as well. When you say to uh -huh. be passionate about something, is that, you know, is that a, you know, in the way that I are, does that come across in my articulation, in my tone of voice, in the, the word choice that I use? Where, where do you find articulation or, or passion to be an, an effective trait within storytelling? Yeah. Um, I think of it almost as the engine of storytelling, I guess. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm spending too much time worrying about if I'm being articulate, uh, I can lose focus on that drive of like, th this is, I, I think with storytelling, passion is really what carries it forward a lot of the times. And if you get hung up thinking about specific elements of the story you're trying to tell, sometimes that can be, that can sideline you. So obviously it's, it's a balance too of, of being well-prepared. Um, for me anyway, if, I, if I'm preparing to tell a story or to share information, Uh, I don't really like to script it. What I like to do is just kind of have bullets and have an arc in mind. I think when I'm putting together presentations or uh, articles or even like longer things like books, I'm always thinking about the arc of the story. Um, I'm not necessarily thinking of it as distinctly as the hero's journey, but maybe there are elements of that in there to where people sense that there's conflict and resolution throughout a story, even if it's just a story about how to use a piece of technology. There are ways that you can infuse those stories with very human elements. And I, I think that's a great way to connect with people, especially when you're, the more technical things get, the harder it can become to find ways to, to humanize it. But I feel like that's a key piece. If, if people feel connected, to something, uh, they're going to have a much better chance of understanding it and using it themselves. And I think that's yeah. where that passion comes through. You can almost uh, give them your passion. You can yeah, pass that again, passion along through an effective story told well. <laughs> right. Go going back again to, to connectedness. And so tell me a little bit about One Reach AI, conversational AI, and the book that you wrote. Yeah. Um, so... It, that, that journey actually probably began about 10 years ago, which is kind of interesting. I, uh, I started working as a managing editor for UX magazine, uh, which I think at the time and still is, is sort of the preeminent online publication for experienced designers. It's, it's sort of a community hub as well. Um, 
And I, I came to that uh, role with very little knowledge about experience designer technology. Uh, I just had a lot of knowledge about how to publish magazines and online magazines. But what really struck me right away was this idea of, of designing experiences. The well-designed experiences to me felt like these vivid, living, actualized stories. Um, and, and I felt like a lot of the work that experienced designers were doing uh, required a lot of the same skills that I would use as a storyteller, um, being able to kind of put myself in other people's shoes, uh, trying to adopt a variety of variety of viewpoints, which again is where that that art of uh, lurking, I guess, kind of came in handy. Um, and so at the time, uh, Rob Wilson, who I who I co-authored Agent Invisible Machines with, uh, he's he uh, owns UX Magazine, um, and he and I didn't have a lot of contact back in those days. He very busy. He was uh, OneReach.ai didn't exist at the time, but um, he was kind of dividing his time between Denver and Kiev, where we have a hub office now for OneReach AI. Um, so I, I uh, left UX Magazine, and then years later, uh, it was actually during the pandemic, I, I was kind of revisiting my old list of clients and friends um, because my wife and I, we uh, at the time, I was helping her. Uh, she's a hairstylist and we had a small hair salon. So I was helping her run day-to-day stuff when the pandemic hit. And so we closed up shop and then I reached out uh, to a good friend, Elias Parker, who uh, was sort of the executive producer, I guess you'd say on, on our book. And he was working on a, a white paper that, that was um, explaining a lot of Rob's thoughts. And I started helping him with that trying to figure out how I could apply storytelling to it essentially. And it was going well. And then it kind of turned into a thing where I was having two to three hour calls with Rob and Elias, uh, one or two times a week, just about the concepts in the white paper. And it just kept mushrooming. Uh, the, the white paper all of a sudden was way too big to be a white paper. And we started <laughs> thinking of things in terms of chapters in a book. Um, so yeah, it, it was an amazing experience to have. I, I felt incredibly fortunate to reconnect with these wonderful people that I'd worked with before and and to be able to work on a very exciting project like this. And, uh, you know, around that same time, one reach, like, well, Rob, I can back up a little. Rob has a pretty long and prestigious career in experience design. He actually, I would say that germ was seeded back when he was, he worked in sound design uh, for Warner Brothers, the movie studio many years ago. And it was around the time that, uh, the movie studios were transitioning from analog to digital. Uh, and he was someone who understood technology and he could see that if, if all of a sudden they were hiring sound and film editors, just based on their ability to use a computer, they were going to lose all this accrued wisdom, um, that he was surrounded. You know, he was working with editors who'd been in the game for like 50 years and stuff. And he saw that as unacceptable, right? You don't want to lose that. There's, there's a very real rhythm and nuance to editing film and it. And it actually, I think comes from the physical act of cutting it. And so his response uh, was to kind of design one of the first digital film editing platforms. And it, it mimicked the, the physical machine that you would use to edit film. And so that enabled the old guard editors to understand how to use this new technology, but then also to pass along those experiences and that knowledge of like how you edit film and that 
you know, there's, there's distinct stuff that's very hard to, to learn unless you do it hands-on. And so I think that kind of seeded for him this idea that he needed to do whatever he could moving forward to make sure that the gap between people and technology continued to narrow. He didn't want it to widen. And so he went on to become, he founded Effective UI, which was one of the first experience design agencies. Um, and he actually co-authored a book called Effective UI that was kind of about a lot of the things that, that they worked on there. And so he was, he was devoted in a way to, to making technology more accessible to people. And one of the things that he recognized quickly was that conversational experiences with technology were some of the uniformly, some of the worst experiences people had with technology. And so that kind of became his passion was, was trying to figure out how to improve that. And so really UX magazine and uh, this book, Age of Invisible Machines and OneReach AI or .ai are all kind of pillars uh, in a in a broader goal uh, that that I feel like I guess I now share with him to to make sure that technology isn't leaving people behind. You know, through UX Magazine, it's about sharing the insights that experienced designers have in terms of like making technology relevant and useful for people. Uh, the book was really just an effort to share all the things Rob's learned in the twenty years he spent working on conversational AI. He's he's fairly unique. Uh, for a founder and CEO in that he, he doesn't like to be in the spotlight. He's, he's very humble and unassuming, and he's, he's always quite willing to get on the phone and explain the things he's learned about conversational AI, even if it's to a direct competitor. He, he's really quite giving of his, his time and knowledge, but he only has so much time in his day, right, for Zoom calls with competitors. So, so this book uh, really became a vehicle for him to share all the many things he's learned uh, working in conversational AI with, with the team he's assembled at OneReach AI. Uh, and around the time that the book was really coming together, OneReach.ai uh, scored highest on, um, I want to get the title right here, it's a Gartner report, but it's Gartner's inaugural 2022 uh, critical capabilities for conversational AI enterprise platforms report. Which is a real mouthful, but essentially, uh, you know, all, all, for many years, OneReach.ai has, has just been all about the product, just about making the best conversational AI platform that they could. Um, and as a byproduct of that, not a lot of people knew about OneReach AI. So I think all of a sudden seeing us pretty much as the highest ranked platform on this report was very exciting for us, but also very eye-opening for the industry. Uh, and, and a lot of that is kind of rooted in Rob's approach to this technology, which is, it's all about having a platform that's, that's open and flexible. I love it. I'm um, not sure if I answered your question. That was a lot of talking I just did. So <laughs> it was a, it was a very cool story. So I'll take it. Um, and it sounds like, um, I, I just had a few just comments on the leadership you just described, I think it was. It's sort of a, I think it just shows a little bit on the type of leader he is and um, type of people that you surround yourself with, which is really cool. And, and, uh, and, and I just loved our conversation on, on storytelling and, and how that fits in also with conversational AI and, and, and the book that you wrote. And I, and I want to thank you for your time. This was an awesome, uh, short, but meaningful conversation. And I, and I, I really appreciate the insights and the energy um, I'm taking with me 
this idea of a, of a passion as a driving vehicle for effective storytelling. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned that there are some things that, you know, you can learn perhaps, some things that maybe are more coming naturally, but I think, um, you know, choosing to talk about things that you're passionate about and me and, and being intentional about, about being passionate about them and discovering those passions. I think that's probably a, a good way to start at, at least for people who want to become better storytellers is to talk about things that, the things that they're passionate about. So Josh, thank you very much for your time and, uh, and continue doing amazing work with one reach AI and everything else that you're doing. I'm sure there's many more experiences that I'm going to, I'm going to be cheering from the side. So thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 